God has given his Holy Spirit to change your desires, to change your heart, to change your patterns. And the same God that sent his son to provide pardon for your sin is providing power by his Holy Spirit. So the things that do tempt us, the idolatries in our life, Jesus is saying, I can provide power for you. So glad you joined us for today's Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chapel. In today's episode, Pastor Brian shares the second half of a lesson from Mark 10. Dr. Chapel highlights how our idols keep us from God. You can find this lesson and many others when you visit unlimitedgrace.com. And while you're there, look for this wonderful resource from Dr. Chapel, Holiness by Grace. In this book, Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Let's hear now from Dr. Brian Chapel as he shares the second half of the lesson, Better Than Resolutions. Let's look at the Lord's Word together, Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, as we'll be considering verses 17 through 27. As you're turning, let me ask you to consider this commentary by Christian commentator Mark Galley as he considers the value of New Year's resolutions. He writes this, The more I strive to be a good Christian, the more prayerful patient, giving, sacrificial, whatever, the more I find myself anxious, irritated, guilty, resentful, and self-righteous. But when I simply accept that I am a sinner, really, then I find I pray more and more patient, more giving, more humble, and more loving. Well, let's see if that coheres with what Jesus says in this passage at Mark. Let's stand as we honor God's word and think what might be better than our own resolutions to do God's will. Verse 17 says, And as he, that is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he, that is the man, said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. He says words that candidly distress us as much as they distress the disciples. You lack one thing. By the way, this one thing is no little thing. (laughs) This one little thing. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, the instruction is clear. What's not as clear is the intention. What we do often in our culture is we hear these words about sell everything you have and give to the poor, and we say, is that a universal rule? Is, 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 is that something that we're being called to do right now? Actually, I think you should. No, I don't. And you know I think not. Listen, this would not have made sense if the idolatry were not already on the stage. Okay, Already the man has said, I'm as good as God. And that means God's priorities are secondary to mine. As a consequence, Jesus says, you need to understand God will take second place to nothing. And so he takes what the man values the most, apparently his money because he appears to be rich, and he says, you need to give that away for God's purposes. Now, the reason I'm saying it that way is we tend to think of idolatry as something about a a wooden or stone image in a hut in a jungle somewhere. But more frequently in the Bible, idols are good things that take the place of God, that allow us to kind of push God aside, to marginalize God for a little bit while we pursue this good thing. And you think of all the good things that can become idols in our lives. We say, I'm going to marginalize God, push him on the shelf for a while, while I pursue this in the meantime. And it could be food, sex, occupational accomplishment, personal approval, sports, recreation, body image, or particularly alluring... Money. That's what Jesus presses on in this one account, right? It's, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, it's not saying that all riches are wrong. I mean, Jesus blessed Solomon in the Old Testament with riches. Others, Job had riches. Riches in themselves are not wrong unless they have begun to promise you that they will fulfill you without God. And so you marginalize God in order to pursue those things, even for just a while. And what Jesus is teaching is that anything that promises fulfillment without following Christ is ultimately going to enslave you and bring you no fulfillment at all. You know what the evidence of that in this passage is, that the idolatry is ultimately unfulfilling? Is that this young man went away from this conversation sad even though he still has all his money. He's still got it. And yet he is sad. He's, he doesn't have enough. He's enslaved to the pursuit of one more thing. I, I need to have a little bit more. A little, and, and 
And all that he's had is not satisfying, even though by the world's standards, he's rich. Now, if that doesn't seem to apply to you, remember that by our world's standards, virtually everyone in this room is rich. But not everyone in this room is satisfied. And so God is saying to you and to me, in light of the spiritual needs that are on display here, what what is beneath the surface of this passage is not just God trying to crush self-sustaining arrogance out of one man. It's God revealing to all of us that our self-sufficiency ultimately becomes slavery. That if what I'm trying to do is just make my way, accumulate enough, have this relationship, have that person, have this job, and that will make me happy. If that becomes more important than Christ, it will ultimately enslave you. And Jesus, because he loved the young man, is taking him down a whole different path. If you recognize that there is a great opportunity and then a great obligation that's meant to actually crush self-sufficiency and idolatry out of this man, you begin to be understanding what the great objective of this conversation is. Three that I want to list for you. What are, what are the objectives of Jesus in this conversation? It's that the young man and we would understand only God is good. If you say that, that means you are not. And that means it's a confession. I'm not as good as I should be as I consider the commandments of God in all their perfection, in all of their goodness. I have not lived what God requires of me. I can perhaps put on a good show for a while. I can compare myself to others and believe I'm okay. But the reality is I do not live with the perfection that a holy God requires. I begin the path that Jesus designed by simply saying, only God is good, and I'm not. The second thing that Jesus is teaching here, of course, is that only God is God, and you are not, nor is this young man. As much as he gives himself the stature and the status of God, if he begins to only do what he can do in his own strength and power, he will ultimately be enslaved by the very things he is seeking. And God is saying to you and to me that he has the power to overcome that. That he, by being honored above all things, actually is freeing us from the slavery, the idolatries that we would pursue in our own lives. That when we have honored God above all things, that the things that would capture our heart, capture our attention, capture our activities, capture our energies, they actually begin to lose their power in our lives. I've studied a lot the writings of Tim Keller, the New York City pastor, who says that one of the things that young people struggle with these days, who have raised in a church that say the goal of the church is to help young people behave, is to actually say we don't believe that anymore. I mean, you know, you're not nice if you live with somebody, not your husband or wife. Well, who says so? I don't feel any guilt for that. I don't feel any shame for that. And the attempts of the church to shame people into obedience just don't work anymore in our culture. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is more typical of what works in our culture today when you say to young people, don't you recognize that to pursue any of these things apart from Christ ultimately is going to enslave you? That you become your happiness, your fulfillment tied to that person and their opinion of you 
or their sexual relationship with you, or this job, or that opportunity, or this respect, or that magazine article, whatever it is, you're not happy if you don't have it. And as a consequence, it has you. It controls you. And Jesus is saying, but when you put God above all those things, when his honor is your first intention, then that honor makes all those other idols slaves to him, not you a slave to them. God is teaching not only that only God is good and only God is God. Ultimately, what Jesus is teaching here is that only grace will do to get us out of the crushing of seeking self-sufficiency. You're listening to Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chappell. God instructs us in His Word to be holy as He is holy. How can God expect us to be as holy as He is? Such a standard seems either to ignore our frailty or to impose certain failure. That is, until we understand how God views us. In this challenging yet heartwarming book, Holiness by Grace, Dr. Brian Chappell illustrates the principles of grace, the practices of faith, and the motives of love in living a life of holiness. Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Holiness by grace draws straight from the heart of God, as Pastor Brian's encouraging words will help you understand that your holiness is not so much a matter of what you achieve as it is the grace that God provides, a grace so rich as to make the pursuit of His holiness your soul's deepest delight. You can request your copy of Holiness by Grace when you go online to unlimitedgrace.com or by calling 844-41-GRACE. That's 844-414-7223. And now, more from Brian Chappell on today's Unlimited Grace. What is Jesus doing to help this young man? I don't want you to miss where this account goes. You may remember that in terms of Jesus actually believing that goodness is going to get us out of our situation, verse 17 begins this way. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, where is he going? If you look in the same passage down at verse 32, you'll see. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, saying, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, said Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Did Jesus really believe that just keeping the commandments would be the answer to the problems? No, he's on the way to die and to rise in resurrection. Jesus is saying to this young man, the commandments should crush you. Your idolatry will enslave you. Come follow me. 
and you will see a pardon being provided for your sin, and you will see in resurrection the power for a life that is freed from the slaveries to idolatries that you intend. I will give you something different. New life, not just a new year, but a new eternity by what God is promising in his son here. He is the one providing the righteousness the man could not provide for himself unless he lies or is ignorant or callous to what the commandments are. Jesus is saying, I will make the way. And it's not just the pardon is there. You, you, you hear the distress in the disciples? Oh no, if, if even the wealthy people, and remember in, in much of Jewish society, the fact that you had wealth meant that you were a good person and if you were poor, it meant you were being punished for being a bad person. So if Jesus is saying, even the wealthy are gonna have trouble getting to heaven, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven, that, that people are saying, the disciples, well, well, who's got any hope then? I mean, if even the wealthy, that you know, by their very wealth, they're showing they have the favor of God, if even they have trouble getting into heaven, how's anybody else going to be saved? And Jesus at the end of verse 27 says, with man, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, if the young man were to follow him, he'll go to a cross and he'll see there's my, my sin being sacrificed for. There's provision, forgiveness, pardon being provided. But I've still got to live this life. I've still got these commands that might crush me. How am I going to live for God once my sin is pardoned? And Jesus says, with God. All things are possible. Once he has risen, he knows what will happen. He'll tell his disciples, my spirit will indwell you. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The world doesn't have this hope. It says, I'm I'm a victim of my behavior or my circumstances or my genetics. And we as believers say, no, we hold to the gospel. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You are not just a, a victim of circumstance, a victim of genetics. God has given his Holy Spirit to change your desires, to change your heart, to change your patterns. And the same God that sent his son to provide pardon for your sin is providing power by his Holy Spirit. So the things that do tempt us, the idolatries in our life, Jesus is saying, I can provide power for you. With God, this is possible. New life, new hope, new habits, new ways, new patterns. I'm not saying it's without struggle. I am saying tomorrow does not have to be like yesterday. Real change is possible. Hope is here because with God, all things are possible. If you believe that, if you believe that you can be pardoned for the past and you can have power for the present, then what's going to make you act in such a way that you would follow after Jesus as he calls this man and all of us to. For me, the clear answer is in verse 21. To me, one of the most personally favorite verses of all scripture, just the first portion. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Here's this young man. He's got, he's got the wealth of the world and the arrogance of the world and gives himself the status of God. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And I think you and I are supposed to see that twinkling in the eye of Jesus right then, that, that, that sparkle of grace in the moment. Say, Jesus has every reason to, 
to slam, to walk away, to reject. And he looks at him and loves him. And I need that awareness in my own heart to recognize that God is saying to you and to me that, that once you've been pardoned and now that you know power is yours, what's going to make you act upon the power to live the life that God is calling you to? It is to know how deeply loved you are. You will act upon what you most love to. And we love because he first loved us. Here's a young man deserving no love at all. And Jesus loves him. And it's that love that's meant to turn his heart and turn him around and ultimately empower the obedience you and I are called to. It's just, it's just mistaken that in the church, we think that obedience is not doing the things we hate. With extraordinary willpower. Whereas biblical obedience is doing precisely what we love with extraordinary satisfaction. And I love doing what Christ calls me to do when he is my first love. It's this simple but profound reality that when we act in love upon the pardon and the power that God has given us, that we are more enabled, desiring to live for God than anything else we could or would ever do. New Year's resolutions, well, some of them will stick, but most won't. What we want is something that's not so ephemeral, not so fragile. What would actually make us live the life we wanted to live? Do you remember two weeks ago here, it was 20 degrees below zero wind chill at this time we're now meeting. And then this past week, it's 50 degrees out there. We go from deep chill to warmth. And it's that time of year, right? We have the the freeze-thaw cycle. And for lots of us from our teens well into our adulthoods, we recognize the pattern. We're here a speaker. We'll go to summer camp. We'll go to a conference. We'll get some people around us. And we're on fire for the Lord. And then the winter storms come along and we grow cold again. What is it that would keep us from just being on fire to frozen and break the cycle with a glowing warmth that was consistent in our hearts and through our lives. We had a wonderful New Year's opportunity in our family. We had all our kids, all their spouses, and all our grandkids under one roof for the first time ever right now. And I think of all that my wife did to get ready for that. Shopping for Christmas presents, wrapping Christmas presents, shopping for the groceries, preparing the groceries, preparing special meals, organizing the menus, organizing the schedule. On the eve of it all, taking an 18-hour round trip with me, drive to my mom's house because it was the only window that we had to see my mother. Coming back, arranging the rooms, decorating the house, arranging the bedrooms, You know what? I don't think anybody forced her to do that. And I'm pretty sure nobody could have stopped her from doing all that. And I'm sure that there's something about resolve and willpower and feeling guilty if you don't do it. I'm sure all that worked its way in there. 
But do you know what's deep down the great motivation? It is profound love that's more powerful than anything else to answer the calling that God gives her and gives you. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus looks at you and loves you. And when you know that, it's the warm glow of a perpetual heart for the priorities of Jesus. That's Pastor Brian Chapel, and you've been listening to Unlimited Grace. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. Chapel, you can find a collection of valuable resources at unlimitedgrace.com. Please be sure to join us next time as once again we endeavor to put Christ at the center of our efforts so that lives might be transformed by His unlimited grace. This ministry is brought to you by Unlimited Grace Media and continues to be made possible with your generous financial support.